On this week's Bet the Process podcast, Rufus and I will be trying to swear a lot to make it really, really creative content, which is what someone on Twitter told us we should do. Actually, what we're really doing is going back and recapping how my podcast partner managed to lose money despite calling out and betting on and betting quite a bit of money on a 100 to 1 favorite Gary Woodland to win the US Open. You'll have to listen to know how that all happened. And as always, the Bet the Process podcast is still no longer sponsored. So just line up and get some sponsors there. With that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast, Bet the Process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is Welcome to a recap episode. So, Rufus and I are going to talk a little bit about the U.S. Open um, and how he managed to lose money despite nailing what, like a hundred to one long shot in Gary Woodland. A hundred and two and a half to one is what I got, and then I got him fifty-two to one after round two. Fifty-two yeah. to one after round two. No, wait, round yes. No, after round one. No, he was I, leading. No. Oh, after after round one. Sorry, after round one. You're right. You're right. After round one. Like I want to bet in your sports book if they're giving out yeah. fifty to one for the three stroke leader or whatever. After round one. Uh, just okay, like let's I just bet let's just Ricky Fowler after round one. That didn't work out as well. Let's just let's just recap this. So okay, uh, U.S. Open. We went on last week, and at the end, probably about six people. No, sorry, about probably about three of our seven listeners made it to the end. You gave out Gary Woodland and I believe Lucas Glover also as like long shots with some value. Um, I remember I actually looked at Chris and like the lines had moved. And so there wasn't value in any of the places that I bet on Woodland anymore. Um, but uh, but you didn't you didn't mention him. And even after the first day, I think I asked you, hey, are there any guys with some value? And um, I managed to bet some guys based on the fact that you said there was some value. And one of them was Woodland who I think I got at that time for like 45 to one or something. I think you thought the value was the true number should have been around 42 to one or something. Does that sound about right or familiar? After, after round one? Yeah. After round one, I made Gary Woodland uh, 38 to one. So close, close-ish. Anyways. Yeah. So then in round two, he has the amazing performance and he takes the lead and a lead that he basically never relinquished at the end. Um, after round three, you tweeted out, sorry, after round two, you tweeted out that you thought he had, I think a 24% chance to win or something like that, which Let's was see. much stronger than the market. Yeah. I, I, ha- I had him at, uh, 26.4%. I made him plus 278 to win after round two. Yeah. And, um, I, I mean, I think it's cool that you're tweeting out these, these odds. I think it's really cool. Um, I mean, obviously, I don't think it gives up much value for you, but it, it actually is really cool to follow. Um, you've become quite a, quite a good Twitter follow. Those, those people on that podcast that you sent me also said that you're a good Twitter follow. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what they're uh, – I, I don't know why people think that, but – Well, you're like – you're actually making an effort to do it, right? I mean, you're like, you're like tweeting out interesting things here and there, and you've, you've set a goal to – have more Twitter followers than I did and you've accomplished that goal. So I don't, who's the next oh, yeah. Are you going to try to have more than RJ Bell? 
Everything's about Jeff, huh? No, no, no. Are you going to try to more than, well, now you've passed no, me. I'm, I'm, I'm in your, I'm in your like rear view mirror. I'm not even in your rear view mirror anymore. Well, now, now that I'm past you comfortably, I can stop tweeting for a while and actually be productive. <laughs> well, you don't even have baseball anymore. So theoretically you have plenty of time to do anything. Yeah. Um, okay. So anyway, so, so back to, and I have a few questions about golf uh, generally like golf handicapping that I, that I like to talk about. So then, um, Gary Woodland ends up, ends up winning. Um, you tweeted out that you won roughly between, uh, outrights on him in and in match or whatever. Also, wait, so a question, did you end up putting more on each round on Woodland? So I put more after round two and, and that was it at that point. I didn't add any more or sorry, after round one, I did not add any more after round two, just cause I mean, I, I was also loaded up uh, on top 10, top 20, top five stuff with Woodland too. So at that point I was like, that's, you know, that's enough exposure on him. Yeah. It's, I mean, it was, it was, it was, you know, it it was a big edge, like getting plus 425, I think is what it was, or I think even higher if you had access to a bet fair when the true price should be plus two, I shouldn't say true price when my price said plus 278 is a huge amount of value. (laughs) You don't consider, you don't consider your price to be the true price. No, I don't, I don't think I can. I'm not that naive. That's that's very bold of you. But, I, mean, that's, I mean, very very humble of you not to think that you are the real price. But if if I thought I was the real price, I would bet if it was if I could get plus two eighty, and I thought it was plus two seventy eight, because there would be some edge there. Why wouldn't I? But I think that there, I I know sort of the deficiencies in my model, and I think one thing is that I'm not really great at, at handicapping the sort of choke factor and the fact that you know it's a. Uh, it, Gary Woodland trying to win his first major, you know, if it was like Paul Casey up there too, at the same, like the same time, I'd be probably way too high on Paul Casey because Paul Casey has a reputation for choking, like deservedly. So I've, I've lived through it many, many a time, but my, I don't factor that in. And I've, I've, I've looked for statistical evidence of it and, and ways to predict it. Um, but doing it at, on a round level, it's very hard to do. And when I've tried to do it on a whole level, you're basically trying to reconstruct where, you know, based on the tee time and, and not having timestamps necessarily on every shot, you're trying to reconstruct exactly what a scoreboard would be at a specific time. And I'm like, I don't think the juice is worth the squeeze in, in trying to do that. So I haven't. Okay. So long winded digression into the fact that I did not add more woodland. And I tweeted out that I thought, you know, I made him 26%, but I'm high on him. Um, and I wonder how much of that is due to the fact that I, don't account for the fact that he has, he's trying to win his first major, whereas right. the chasing okay. guys were not. So let's let's keep going on this. So okay. So then, so then you ended up winning roughly 190 grand, 150 on outrights and in in running or whatever you would call it, and then another 40k on uh, the actual top 10 and top five finishes. Now. You end up with a plus one ninety on just Gary Woodland's, you know, bets. Yes. Um, how did you still end up losing? Well, I, that's I, what everybody wants to know. Okay. And so what's what's great about it's, this, by the way, is I think it was getting a little bit annoying when you kept saying like, "Hey, even though my fade did well, I still ended up winning for the thing." But this is a good case of you actually. Now we kind of know you're being honest when you say that because now you're big long shot won, but yet you lost. Yeah, I did. And it came down to mostly uh, three balls doing, doing very poorly the first two rounds. That was, 
uh, return of like negative 70,000 on, on 200 something volume and, and then round bets overall as well. Rounds three and four. Let's see round round. Did you end up betting? So this is maybe a little bit too inside baseball for you, but because you have this new SIM, did you end up betting or new way to, do you end up betting more three balls than you normally do? No, it's, it's the same as always. Okay. I don't, I don't know what new SIM you're talking about. But. You said you have like an easier way to run your SIMs now where anyone can run them and you can kind of like basically like look at, and it's easier for you to bet three ball that way. Well, Didn't you tell me that? I'm Well, we're working on that. It's not there yet, but but we're getting closer and that's going to make it a lot easier because it'll be done remotely and we'll have like a web portal. And right. Blah, so blah, it wasn't blah, like an unreasonable, wasn't an unreasonable thought that maybe that had happened. No, it's, it's, it's going to be the same sim anyway. It's just, I'm trying to make my, make things a little more efficient and streamlined, but yeah, just honestly, there wasn't even any big fade in the, in the round bets. It was just, you know, like round four, who's chasing over Woodland that didn't win, you know, um, Rose over Kepka also didn't win, you know, Pierce over Molinari, a nice plus price did not win. I think so it's, that's how, that's how it goes sometimes. And, you know, I'd had a lot of good, I'd had a lot of positive variants in previous majors, especially in this, well, in the three ball stuff, like way exceeded my expectations. I think I I like won like 60% of them in the masters and, and, you know, three balls, you're up against two other guys. So in general, the average, you know, I'm getting plus money on those. Did you share with people how much money you had in play total? No. And I would rather, you know, people can try to like reverse engineer and it's not just me, it's me and my business partner, but like, yeah, it's. Uh, it's a big yeah. number. I won't, I won't say what it is, but it's a big number. You told me it's over a billion dollars. You know, it, 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 it's approaching a, like a half of a gazillion. By the way, I'm going to swear periodically through this because someone um, tweeted out that we need a little bit more pizzazz in our pod and I should swear every once in a while. So shit. Okay, move on. Okay, let's move on. Did- <laughs> no, so here's, here's my question to you on this. Um, so Cantlay right? Patrick Cantlay. I asked you, I think maybe off the air before I was like, why is everyone so high on Cantlay? And you were like, well, you know, he's, he's sort of like playing best of any golfer going into this, blah, blah, blah. And you know, a lot of the metric I think that he was doing really, really well in was, was strokes gained or whatever. Is that true? Strokes, strokes gained. What you mean is that like strokes gained is sort of the basis of everything. It's, it's how one does relative to the field. So, but my question is like, what don't it, aren't all you guys that really bet golf these days using almost the same system. So do you feel like your edge is like, have you seen your edge in golf disappearing by the sort of standard ways that you do things or do you still think it's about the same? No, I, I th- you're right. I think it, it is more efficient. There were days when you could just bet like the long hitters at Quail Hollow and the short hitters at the heritage at, at Harbor town and, and make money that way because that wasn't priced in. And now uh, it, it's certainly not that way. And, and I know there are more golf, data websites out there um like data golf for example um but they their forecasts don't factor in anything course specific and i I think i have a unique way of of sort of accounting for that stuff and i don't know i mean i think um you know as as there as golf data becomes more readily available and like advanced data becomes more readily available yeah of course my edges are going to go down but i think that what i'm doing is still unique enough that you know i've I see that I'm on completely different stuff than some other so-called like golf sharps too. So, so now we've had one year of like legalization, right? Roughly it's been legal for a year. Mm -hmm. Um, 
what have you noticed as a better? Um, have has the market changed at all? Has legalization changed things for you at all? Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, New Jersey has been a pleasant surprise. It's especially for like golf majors and stuff like that. It's 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 become it's, it's you know, there are what twelve or thirteen different operators, and it's quite a competitive marketplace. And so there definitely are options there. And and one thing they're doing that Vegas is not doing is offering a lot more different bet types, especially for golf. If you go out to Vegas for golf, you're basically going to be able to bet tournament matchups, uh, round matchups and outrights. And that's just about it. Whereas some of these places in New Jersey are offering, you know, top five, top 10, top 20, top 30, even top 40. You have groups, you have round three balls, um, two balls, top country, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It gets, you know, quite a lot of offerings. And I think, um, and in general, being able to add more books in terms of price shopping is a good thing too. So I think the landscape has been much more effective than I thought it would be. Well, what do you think, Jeff? Do you agree? Well, I'm not, I'm just kind of like hearing stories about New Jersey. It's what you're saying is almost counter to sort of the stories that you're hearing where, everyone like, you know, Spanky and those types of people are just complaining about not being able to get any money down. Why are you able to get money down when he, like, you don't have that same problem well, right now. We, we all have that same problem. Um, maybe not as much as, I don't have it as much as Spanky, but I also didn't go in guns a blazing and try to uh, make an example of myself. So I, I think we all kind of are highlighting the, the negatives because the things we want to see change because that's kind of, I mean, hell, Twitter's a bastion of negativity anyway. But uh, Blame uh, it on Twitter. This is all Twitter's fault. Uh, but here, my, my point is this, though. I think it, it is, it's new and it adds something. And even if I can only bet out in one out of 13 places, if I, it, that still is useful. It's better than not having that one place. Got it. And um, generally, like, is what... What, has anything surprised you? Is has th- have things moved quicker than than you thought they would? Do you see a world where you would set up an operation where you have people in multiple states? Like New Jersey is easy for you because you don't live that far. But like, we'll we'll li- so here's an example, right? We used to find you know, when these new casinos were opening up everywhere, right? As advantage players, we would find a game, a blackjack game that was beatable, and say Mississippi, and then so we'd send a team to Mississippi. Do you think like it's going to, you're going to need to have ways to get out, get down in, in multiple states? Having betting partners in different states? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't typically like to talk about that kind of stuff. Um, just no, no, but you don't have to talk about this like from your, like I just think that like, I guess just think about it as a thought exercise, right? Like do you think that that's something that like, and I'm just saying like as this market matures, not you specifically, but even just any kind of like a, a betting syndicate you know, is that, is that the world we're going to live or we're going to just going to have like, these things are going to be like these, you know, multi-state operations. Like, I, I mean, you, you'd have to think they would be right. Yeah. I think you'll definitely have groups having people and located in, in New Jersey, especially come football season. And just, just like, you know, people groups have people in Vegas and, you know, I don't think you're not going to see people in Mississippi this football season probably, but well, but maybe, I mean, like, who knows though, right? Maybe you get like some weird SEC pricing there or something like that. I mean, yeah, that's true. I just remember with, you know, our exploration of Mississippi during Super Bowl prop week, you know, we didn't really find much there. It was. Yeah, but the market is going to evolve. And, that, and that's one of the things I think that's so interesting about 
um, the sports betting market is I think everyone is grounded on like what things looked like in Europe. And I'm really hoping that things don't end up looking like that at all in 2025 or 2030. You know, I hope that things change dramatically. And I, I don't think any of us can even like fathom what they might change to. No, you're right. And uh, Captain Jack actually brought up something on Twitter about saying, um, saying that he expects a few books to the market to contract in New Jersey at some point that, that he doesn't think that the ecosystem can hold however many books there are now, 12 or 13. And I kind of agree. I mean, I think you'll see it right, right now it's a gold rush and everybody's trying to, to get a piece of this and there will be winners and there will be losers right now. FanDuel looks like the biggest winner, I think probably followed by DraftKings, but you know, some of these other smaller books are not going to be making money or, or, and, and so you'll see some of these contract, but, but I think it, it hopefully, I mean, it, it's going to be sort of a referendum on what consumers actually want. And I mean, that's my hope at least. I, I hope that the ones that, that are successful are catering to or are successful on their merits rather than because they're just outspending everybody. But yeah, well, I, I don't want the shittiest product to win. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Do you want to talk at all about this podcast that you sent to me? And sure. I to? After I say that um, Patrick Cantlay, I, I was big on him. Um, I had I had three matchups on him, and he managed to push against Tiger Woods despite the fact that like Tiger was like four over at one point when I checked on Sunday, and, and Cantlay was three under, and then yeah, Tiger went on a run. So, do you I, think that like have you looked at uh, British Open odds yet? Nope. I will not look at it until probably a week before the open too. I wonder, it's interesting. Now, do you think that golf betting is, is become more mainstream? Like you had this whole conversation with Darren Ravel or there was that whole conversation on Twitter with Darren Ravel about golf betting. Like you and I have always talked about how we think golf would probably be like a huge opportunity um, to grow because it's such a great game for betting. And I've obviously talked to some people um, within within sort of the golf inner world about this. Is do you see that happening right now? Or yes, I do. I mean, Darren Ovell's tweet was that that you know you can bet a long shot and have it pay off that weekend, right? Rather than sort of betting a future like uh, like the Blues to win the Stanley Cup and then having to wait an entire season. But I mean, you can also do that in horse racing too. You could have some sort of daily double or trifecta or whatever. Yeah. That, that has big odds also. But I, I do think golf is very uniquely, um, you know, well, I think it's a great fit for betting. I mean, people, everybody gambles when they golf generally, it's at least on a, on a very small level. And I think that if you have TV coverage following specific groups, which, you know, you have something like the PGA Tour Live app, which follows uh, a featured group on Thursday and Friday morning, if you had bets basically uh, tailored to that, you know, you're basically watching. If, if you're betting, like, let's say you have, you know, Kepka and, and Tiger paired up, you know, you can bet against them on each hole or something and actually see both participants. And that makes it much more like anything else you bet on, like a Major League Baseball game or an NBA game or something where you're actually watching everything you're betting on. Whereas right now, I mean, if, if I'm betting on, on Cantlay against Woods, you know, for the tournament, they might be on completely different holes. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm only seeing a few shots from Cantlay or actually that's a bad example. Like the, the better example would be like betting on Lee, no Koda, Cody Ichihara against Michael Thor Bjornsson, which I did and lost. And you know, I didn't see a single shot from either of those guys. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of, 
uh, content in the golf world that is not being shown right now. And that seems like a waste. But Jeff, would you say that, that sort of the golf analytics community has, has gotten larger or is it just that I've recently discovered that the golf? No, I think it's, I think it's definitely, I think it's definitely gotten larger. Um, I don't know. The whole golf thing is interesting, right? Because I think that, you know, this definitely seemed like, I'm trying to think like, okay, let's see the masters. I think this one, because Gary Woodland was such a long shot that there's a lot of people that um, have sort of embraced this and the excitement around him winning um, at such, on such a grandiose stage. Uh, So, and I, and I just think generally, you know, maybe this is like one thing that we can credit the action network, but they definitely have a lot of golf content and they've produced a lot of golf content um, around the majors. So I think that they've definitely pushed that, which is, which has probably helped um, make this a little bit more mainstream in terms of, of betting. But yeah, I mean, golf betting is, is it seems like it's going to continue to grow. Um, I think what, when we'll really see it is when, when you see, some sort of mainstream conversations around some of these shittier, smaller tournaments. Right. I mean, like we're seeing this for the majors now, but not quite for a lot of, do you see that? I swore again also just to really spice things up. Fucking a. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Sorry. Um, anyway, so, uh, so Rufus is a dog's name I heard and in a bar, right. It was, it was written on a bar at a bar. Yeah, yeah, but Jeff, before we get to that, though, I mean, I, I, I was actually looking at some content for the Travelers Championship. I was kind of curious what was out there, and, you know, I found an Action Network article about it and talking about, like, course fit and, you know, not trying to sell me on any particular golfer, but just saying these are the important stats for this course. And, I mean, that's, that's honestly – I mean, that's the type of content I think that is generally, um, you know – I'm not going to say it's useful, but I mean, it's, I mean, it's not useful no, well, this is a for good, me. I mean, but, but it would be useful for a recreational better, I think, or someone trying to get smarter or try to learn how to think about things possibly. So I, I think it's something good, that can help you good. build a model rather than it, it's telling someone like how to think rather than what to think. Right. Teach a man to fish versus fishing for them. Um, yeah, but Jeff, if they, if you teach them to fish, like the oceans are like being overfished and soon there won't be any left. You're such a not sustainable tree hugging hippie. Um, can we, can we go back to this? This is actually fascinating, right? Because one of the things that I found interesting about that podcast that you sent over to me, and I don't, you said, what's the name of the podcast that you sent to me? Um, the deep dive podcast. Yeah. The deep dive there. They did a, a podcast on touting and I actually, I didn't get through the whole thing cause I, I had someone, a uh, maintenance guy. You basically just wanted to listen it. until they said your name. And once they said your name, you raised both hands and you went, woo. And then you moved on. Basically. No, I, I, I saw it said touting. I was like, Hmm, I want to give this a listen. I'm going to finish it after, after I get off of the zoom with you, the shitter. Rufus is on the shitter right now. That's that's what makes this Zoom video interesting. Well, did so, you see anyway. Phil, Phil, Mick, Phil Mickelson's Phil side chat where it literally looked like he was sitting on the shitter? <laughs> Take a look. Not, and, not the figurative shitter, the real shitter. Like literally, it looked like he was on like on the shitter with a candle next to him talking, giving us a golf story. But anyway. And you digress. Back, back, so, back to the podcast. Back to the podcast. So they talked a lot about touts. Um, and they talked about like the anti-tout community, the never, which is basically like, I think you and, and me to some degree. Um, and, uh, one of the things I thought they, they started doing this distinction 
And so I'm kind of of this mindset now with this whole thing. And, and um, remember when you were on Twitter, like relatively recently and someone gave you shit and they were like, well, you're part of that ecosystem. And mm-hmm. you were like, well, how do I benefit from this? I don't sell anything, all that kind of stuff. But this is like when I first went on, I think ESPN back in the day, someone that was sort of in the tout business or it might've been someone that I knew that worked with action network or whatever, basically gave me crap. And they said, well, listen, you write articles for ESPN that are in insider that have picks. So essentially you're charging for picks at some level. And they said, if you're on TV for ESPN and they're making money through advertising. And so, and, and to some degree, I agree with them, right? So there's this whole ecosystem of, of people trying to get benefit from information. And then these guys on this podcast actually made a good point, which was to say like, oh, I read Football Outsiders Almanac and that's super useful. Or I read Warren Sharp's book and that taught me something about football. And I use that information. And there's, we don't have any problems certainly with people, you know, writing articles or writing books and charging for them. Um, so there is like some weird sort of slippery slope. Now, again, obviously that's very different than scamming someone. We know that there's that scamming is clearly a place that we would draw the line and stay as wrong. But it is interesting because as you were saying, like the, the article you read on golf, it's like that was an interesting article. And even, even like like a, a service like Rotowire or Roto World back in the day that just shows you like injury information or, or who's starting or who's sitting, that's going to be useful to gamblers. And sure. sh- shouldn't they be able to charge for that? I guess it's, it really comes down to this idea of purporting yourself to be a winner when the reality is you aren't a winner. Yeah. And I agree. I mean, I, I had a membership with RotoWire and I scraped lineup data and all that stuff because it was useful. And I think that there are, I pay for data for some sports and you know, from places that might make money from other things besides just giving out data too. So, I mean, I guess the question is, where is that line? And I mean, it's, it's, I don't think it's a black or white thing. Um, but I do think that if someone sees picks posted on Twitter or, or someone's charging for picks, I mean, I think that your prior should be that it's unlikely this is going to add value to you. Well, but I, I feel like the, I feel like the minute that you start, actually suggesting picks, right? You start, it's like puts a whole new spin on things than just providing content or information, right? And so it almost comes down to like how you're marketing yourself. And the minute you give out picks all of a sudden now, and this is like when you and I were both on ESPN, like I wanted to resist, like when I first talked to them, I was like, I don't want to give out picks on TV. That's not what I want. But you, you, quickly have to end up doing it because that's what everyone thinks they want yeah your picks obviously did better than mine i think i went like two and 12 on sports center <laughs> but you know, no, you you know the funny thing is didn't you give out picks for an entire season on sports center yeah yeah well well not i wasn't on sports center every week but i was on uh but but the times when i was on sports center they did even worse but it, it was you, it was a very bad year for me well what were you doing you weren't on sports center so what were you on like espn news no i was on sports center i just wasn't on every single week oh okay yeah, but, I was on no big deal, but I was on every single week. No big yeah, deal. Yeah, well, you know, you're the OG. Uh, but, not the OG. But I had the same. So, so think about the whole Massey Peabody thing. I mean, Massey Peabody was built initially as a rating system for the Wall Street Journal. Just it, it wasn't really for gambling, but you know, obviously those that the 
you know, to test a rating system and see whether it's good, basically, you need to see whether it has any use gambling. And so, you know, when we found it did, obviously I was betting with it and we posted picks and those picks did well. And, you know, now it it hasn't done as well in in recent years, but, but in a way I feel like that kind of, I think beating a market gives you credibility. And I think there's some people on Twitter that, that don't give out picks, but they did, they used to give out free picks or something just so they can say, Hey, look, I know what I'm talking about. Right. Okay. Uh, anything else, anything else that's on your mind in the world of, of, uh, sports betting? I, I didn't know if we we're going to go deeper on the whole touting thing or not, but. Well, what did you want to talk about? I mean, the thing is we talk about touts a lot too much and no, I don't think we do too much just because I think it's important to have the dialogue on them and whatnot and to continue because it's going to get worse, right? This is this, this whole world is getting worse. Um, people are going to continue to do this. Uh, what did you, was there something else you want to go deeper on with it? Not necessarily. Um, what about the argument for, for that touting is good for people who are undercapitalized that, you know, you're just getting started for the, for the tout themselves, for the tout themselves. Well, so again, like, we know people that sell picks and ultimately, you know, we do believe there's a continuum of like people in terms of that, but the, the, where this all comes down for us, at least as far as, as I know, and I don't want to speak for you is the fact that it's very, very, very hard to provide any kind of value to a better giving picks um, over any kind of a, a, a window where they um, they can leverage this, right? This is that whole like Sprager chart or whatever that they talk about where, you know, the reality is that anyone that's really good and is betting their own stuff is not going to be able to, to give you value. And you might think like a line move of a point or a half a point or something like that is inconsequential, but it, it's it, this is all analytics at the core, right? This is all small edges. And if you lose some of that small edge, um, of the value that you're passing on is gone. So it, it let, let's just take away, like, let's just assume that every tout out there was not a, a scammer. The, the reality is they still wouldn't be able to, to deliver long-term value to a gambler because they would, you know, they would destroy any value they had very quickly. By being I, a- I, yeah, I agree. And I, I also think that if you're successful, I think you're going to be approached by some of these bigger groups. I mean, Look, look, look at what happened with Barry Horse this year, right? I mean, he, he was very successful in 2018 and this year he, you know, he's partnered with people and he's obviously getting down a lot of, a lot, a lot of money and he, he found it's better to, to do that than to sell picks. And I think that if, if you can bet large amounts of money, it's definitely way better than, than just getting subscription fees. And so uh, I, I could see it. I mean, but you can also sort of get to that point, giving out stuff for free too. And, and I feel like you make fewer enemies doing that. Yeah. Well, again, I I think that it'll be interesting to see what happens with the major media companies and how they go after this industry and, 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 you know, the role that sort of content plays in all of this. But the reality is that straight giving picks and selling picks is a very difficult way to actually, you know, give anyone any real value long term. It is, but the problem is that's what everybody wants. I, I get DMs about it all the time. Like, do you sell a sub? And yeah, it's, you know, I try to say, don't, don't buy. I mean, I'm just telling these random people not to buy picks um, just because you're probably going to be losing twice once to the, to the book and once to the, 
guy. So what, what would you, you what would you what would you tell a random like? Imagine like this kid from Sloan comes up to you and they're like, Mr. Peabody, I love all of your work on Massey Peabody and I love you on the Bet the Process podcast. What should I do if I want to break into sports betting? How, how should I do it? Honestly, I don't know how to answer that question. And and I've been asked variants of that question, like how how can I improve? How can I start building a model? And I generally say learn stats, read books, think creatively, <laughs> that kind of thing. But I mean, I kind of lucked into this industry. I did. And I got, and I lucked into meeting people that were well financed that were willing to take a chance betting on me. So I didn't, I went from slowly building up a bankroll, betting a hundred or $200 at a time to being able to bet big quickly. So, I mean, I've, maybe I'm, you know, I'm not the best one to talk there, but in terms of how to break into the industry, I mean, I guess, I really did break in by working for Las Vegas sports consultants. And if it wasn't for my time there working for odds makers and, and really getting a sense of how the industry worked, I don't think I'd be doing this. And so that had a lot of value to me. And I, I would guess, but, but you know, that, that doesn't exist anymore, but I would think, you know, someone could work for one of these operators um, as a trader or something like that and try to get familiar with the industry. And I'm guessing there's going to be more and more of those types of positions available. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess like when I think about this, right, and, and this kind of dovetails to sort of our, our conversation last week where we kind of got depressed, right, where we were talking about this whole idea of like for this industry to continue to grow, it just means more people lose, right? And I started thinking about that on a macro level. And a lot of industries are like that, right? As the insurance industry gets bigger, it's because more and more people are buying insurance and not using it, right? If they were using it, it was a good buy, then insurance. So so in insurance, you're basically, you're, you're giving people, you're, what you're selling to people is like comfort, right? Or, or security or like, like taking away their risk aversion or taking away their risk, right? So there's a value that you're providing. I guess the, in the sports betting world, if people are losing, which they're going to have to long-term, otherwise there's, you know, it's, it's not, it doesn't work what are you providing? And I guess you're providing like some level of excitement or some level of, of thrill that they wouldn't have gotten otherwise. And it's entertainment value. It's sort of the, the reason that people go into casinos and gamble and it's the experience. So I think like that's an important thing to think about in this industry is like, how do we continue to grow? Like when I re-listened to the Logic of Sports Betting podcast that we did, and Matt David Al has this whole thing where he talks about, you know, just wanting to kind of grow the whole thing. And he thinks it's about the clicks is what he kept saying, which he means is about the fan engagement. And that's where the true value is and all this kind of stuff. And it's an interesting perspective, um, but I think it's going to have to be a situation where like the whole industry has to look at it and cover it that way and make it so it's like, fun and interactive and it's like a new way to bet sports but in that world is there a place for the professional better you know i think it depends on how that world evolves i mean i think at some point we'll have an exchange and i think there will be a place for a professional better for sure but i mean it's it's certainly not the easiest way to make a living and i wouldn't recommend it, it i wouldn't recommend someone going down that path unless they're already kind of down it i guess I've heard, as people have said, like, you know, finance, the financial world is much more lucrative and offers the same challenge. And Yeah, it's different though, right? There is some level of joy that you have in being able to sort of like watch the US Open with Gary Woodland, then it's not quite the same joy that someone probably has when they're like following a stock go up and down over the course of time, right? There's a dopamine hit that you get well, that they don't get necessarily. I feel like the successful sports bettors though are treating Gary Woodland like a stock. 
and you're not getting too up or down with them. I actually did. I, I, I had a fun time actually rooting for rooting for Woodland and kind of sweating it a little bit. Uh, yeah, you seemed like you were sweating more. This were you, was was the girlfriend away or something? So you had you had, you had time to sweat? No, I just I was at a I went to a uh, get together with her and some of her med school or not med school residency uh, friends, and it was on TV there. But I I ended up being the most antisocial person there and was just watching for an hour before I before I headed out. Did she give you crap for that or? Well, no. She understood she, it was Gary Woodland time. So, like when you when you have a chance to watch Gary Woodland, you know Woody time. Gary Woodland in, you, yeah. She 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 knows that Woody time is important. <laughs> okay, you got to think about what you just said there. We're gonna cut that. No, we're not gonna cut it. That's yes, perfect. we are. We no, are cutting that. Keep that. Why? That's just hilarious. You didn't mean it. It's hilarious. Then people will listen to our podcast. Like that guy that told us it was too dry. Now they can't say it's dry. We talk about Woody time. It's all good. Okay. Okay. Anyways, uh, anything else? I think I think we've covered a fair amount uh, of what we wanted to cover. Mostly wanted to hit on sort of a postmortem on the U.S. Open. Yeah, I, I had something that I thought was really important, and now I forgot it. So it'll have to wait till next week. <laughs> it must have been really, really important if you forgot it. So I, one last question for you: What um, sport? are you most bullish in going forward? Are you still most bull? I mean, I know that you felt like you had a really good edge in, in golf for a while. Do you still feel like that's a, a big opportunity or what sports are you most bullish in? For me, golf, for sure. I'm the most bullish on it. I think, um, and just in terms of my edge, is that what you're asking about? Yeah. For you, for yourself, like, et cetera. Like, I mean, obviously if, if whatever you would do, it would be for yourself, right? I mean, like you, if you thought there was a huge edge in something else, you might go after that. You would go after that. You would start building models for that. And I am going after some new sports and we'll see what happens there. Right. And team handball and not team handball. Darts. Archery. Archery. So what's the, the what's the most, what's the strain? Like what is the one event or one bet that you've made that you're like embarrassed that you made it? If someone like if, if, if put a gun to your head though, you would admit you made this bet. Hmm. Betting Mexican League Baseball in <laughs> 2009, or, or as we called it, Burrito Ball. Was that like Winter League, or that was like a professional no, Mexican League? It's it's the Mexican League. It's it's AAA. Why did it's you bet that? Unaffiliated AAA. There was, there was some edge. Or, oh, it's an independent league. Got it. Yes, but it is considered AAA. Got it. Uh, why did you end up betting that? We had I had someone who was doing numbers. This was back in 2009. Who who had an edge, and we at it did you do well we started well i think we we ended up positive but not by a ton so when when someone when someone approaches you to some like something like that this was someone like, I, I knew already from oh, okay. my form so for my former for my job at lvsc and, and got it got it because i feel like you're not someone that will follow people uh you need some sort of track record or to believe to follow someone right yeah. And I need to believe in their process. And I feel like I'm kind of, I'm a very loyal person once I get to know someone. And I feel like that can get me into trouble sometimes because I, I blindly will you know, stick with people that I think are, are really smart. And, um, but you're right. I mean, I think that there's a ba- there's that sort of threshold. Like if someone just comes up to me, I'm going to be very dubious at first. They have to, I have to get to know them and, and what their process is like. Who's, is there one person, I think we've talked about this. Is there one person that you would follow blindly that that's a professional sports better? I'd follow Ted Knutson blindly. Really? Yeah, yeah, I would for sure. Especially in soccer. I mean, that, I mean, only in soccer probably. He doesn't even follow American sports anymore. 
doesn't even know what's going on. He hates American sports. He only follows soccer. He's a soccer dork. Yeah. Just kidding, Ted. You know, we love you. All right. I think that was good. We'll be back probably in two weeks with a longer real episode. This was just a short one because I wanted to talk to Rufus about how he managed to lose money in the U.S. Open despite having a 100-1 favorite and nailing it, 100-1 winner and a long shot and nailing it. So, Well, and, and you can look forward to our next episode. I'm not sure if it's going to be the next episode, but we are going to have a legendary odds maker Roxy Roxburgh on the podcast in the coming weeks or month. So. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty excited let's about that. that. Let's do that in two weeks. Let's, let's do that see if we can get them. I'll, I'll, I'll do some research in the interim to get me there. That sounds good. All right, guys. Thank you. And we'll talk to you soon. Media coverage sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppeteers are put to end just running off a leaded.